Good to see you. We'll get started this morning. Um, going to finish out uh, our series, um, our stronger the, the segment about family today. Um, so if you're listening online or if you um, if you've been around, you'll you'll know where we're headed today. If you haven't, you won't be lost. I promise. Um, and uh, we'll get started this morning. Maybe you need a a deep breath. Maybe a deep breath right now will cause you to slip into a small coma. Um, <laughs> we'll see what happens here. I'm glad you're here. Let's pray together. God, thanks today for another day of life. We do stop today to remember that there's a small percentage of the world that lives the way we do, with the freedom to worship you. We know that that freedom is expensive. And we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to live in this place, for the men and women who have sacrificed their lives and their livelihoods so that we could be free. And so today, God, we, we pause and we don't take that freedom for granted. We acknowledge that it's a gift and we choose right now to listen to you. Thank you for the way you love us. Thank you for the promise that you've given us that we don't have to live life with that hole in our gut that darkness that many people do. If there are any in the room today, God, who are experiencing that, would you lead them? Lead them to the hope and the peace and, and the life that you intend for them to have. And we pursue you today in your son's name. Amen. Well, we are finishing up our, uh, our series about family today. And if you're, if you're here and you may not think you necessarily have a a family, or maybe your family's grown up, or uh, maybe you feel like this sermon doesn't apply to you today, you might be surprised um, that what God intends for you to do is to, to do life with a group of people um, around you. And it's one of the things I love most about this church. Um, I've been here a long time now and have developed um, a group of people that, not that I just go to church with, but a group of people that I do life with. Um, and I've got to tell you, when something bad happens in my life, um, my, my blood family is there, but then immediately many people from this place are there for us as well. Um, if you're not experiencing that, you may, you may be surprised at what you're missing out on in your life. Um, and so when we talk today, I, I want to talk a little bit about family in a different way. Um, and maybe there's going to be an in inclination for you to listen and go, oh wait, that doesn't apply to me. But I want you to listen anyway because you might be surprised this morning. Since this is the last uh, family sermon in this series, um, I, it's my last opportunity to show you our, uh, another family photo Awkward family photo. This one really cracks me up. Mom must have gone to Joanne Fabrics on a day when they had a big sale on that fabric. <laughs> and she made everybody in the house, and Dad's not crazy about it. Look at his look. I love that. Like, oh my gosh, my, my golfing buddies are going to see me in this thing. Um, but I don't know what your family's like, um, but we all have these awkward moments. We all have these weird things about our family. And if, if you just finished a Fourth of July party, um, you probably uh, are at the peak of that right now in your life. Um, but what I want to talk about today when it comes to family is sort of the, 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 the foundation for all of it. And it sounds like maybe I should have started this series with this sermon, but the truth is I love ending with it because I believe this kind of wraps everything up when it comes to your family. And if you're struggling today, if you've got a family um, that's arguing, maybe even on the way here, I, I pulled through Paragon this morning um, and actually just got to, uh, to 67 there. 
and there was a family pulled over, very nice-looking, dressed family, pulled over, obviously going to church, and Dad had pulled, out, had pulled over the car and was pulling one of his sons out of the back seat. <laughs> and I've been around long enough, I know exactly what was going on there. <laughs> he had said, one more time and I'm going to pull this car over, you know, and apparently one more time happened, and he had pulled the car over, and my, ge- my guess is they were going to go to church, maybe a little late, Son might have had a little red eyes when he got to church, but everybody would do the cheesy family smile, the, the Brady Bunch smile, like everything is okay, and Dad didn't just whop the kid for, for doing something he shouldn't have done right before they got there, because it's what we do. We pretend we're okay, we act like things are fine, we pretend that, that we're just the Beaver Cleaver family, and the truth is, it's, it's not even how God intended for your family to be. He intends for there to be these, these idiosyncrasies, these strange things, because it's what makes them your family. But from the beginning, um, there is a, a love that starts somewhere. The Grenier's, many of the Grenier's aren't here today, they're all out camping, um, or a lot of them. That's what I was going to mention. 29 for you guys. John and Michelle, 29 years. That is a long time. 29 years. And 59 years for, for your mom and dad. Unbelievable. And it's, part of, it's a great introduction to what, I, what I'd like to talk about today. Congratulations, you guys. That's an amazing thing. It's a great introduction because here's, here's what um, God says. Everything starts with, with the family. And if you're here and you're just starting a family, many of you have got little kids in the pew with you today. You need to know this is where everything starts. And you need to know this too. I, I was out um, looking online. My brother is uh, a single. Um, he's in his late 30s and he's um, divorced and is, is dating again. And is starting to tell me about all these sites now that you can go to, to for dating. And he says, it's just so odd. It's a very strange thing. You know, it's not the way we grew up dating. Um, the, way, the truth is, it's easier than ever in history to fall in love. Did you know that? Maybe if you're single and you're trying, you don't feel like that. But in the history of humankind, it's never been as easy to fall in love with somebody. You can do that. But it's never been as hard to stay in love with somebody as it is now. Falling in love is easy, but staying in love is really hard. And here's the thing. The foundation of, your, of our families around this place, around Paragon, around Morgan County, in, in any family, is that mom and dad staying in love. 59 years, 29 years. 29 years. I've, I've messed up one, and I'm, on, um, I'm now married to the most wonderful woman in the world. And... Um, I'm already just in awe at 29 years. Absolutely in awe. And and the truth is, it's harder than ever. And the question is, is it possible? And maybe, have you ever seen the movie Juno? Um, It's one of my favorite movies. And and in the movie Juno, um, the the girl in the movie, just a real-life movie, and it's it's rough in some areas, but it's a real-life movie. And at one point she asks her dad, is it possible for a man and a woman in this day and age to be together forever? until one of them dies. And her dad kind of gives this interesting, funny kind of a, a comment. But the truth is, that question is out there everywhere. And there is something in you, something in me, that believes that there abs- it absolutely is true. And part of it is from watching people who have done it. But part of it is that there's a thumbprint on your life that God has put on your heart and in your life to say, this is not only possible, but this is the way things should be. This is the way things were intended to be. And there's some implications of it. When, when we do this in our families, when, when mom and dad can have love like this, 
It spreads to the whole family. It changes the family. And the implications are stability, hope, and an example. The, the implications for love in your family are so far-reaching. Risha and I, um, it's amazing the impact our, our relationship has on my kids. Incredible what happens. I, I, I can think that I'm, if Risha and I are in a spat, we don't argue very often, we don't fight, um, we don't yell at each other, we do other things, like to get at each other sometimes. We don't yell in our house ever. Um, so our kids don't know really. I always think they don't know that we're in a little argument. Um, but somehow, my whole house is different when Risha and I aren't right. Somehow they just know. Somehow even the dog knows that things aren't quite right in our house. Because the very foundation of your, of your family is that love that started it. But here's the thing. It's never been harder to stay in love. It's never been easier to fall in love, and it's never been harder to stay in love. But the truth is, 2,000 years ago, people were struggling with this. They were struggling with it, and I believe for a lot of the same reasons we're struggling with it now. And Jesus does what he does all over our lives and all over history. And this is why Jesus, whether you believe he's the Son of God or not, is still one of the most prominent historical figures ever, because he said things like this. He sat down with a group of people, and he said... Here's what I believe, and this was in, in the uh, book of John. He says, I've told you a lot of things, and I'm going to tell you this, and if you're asleep here, that you might want to wake up for this, because this is something you'll be very interested in personally. He says, I'm going to tell you this, I've told you these things, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Have you ever had that feeling? I'm going to get real personal with you for a minute. You don't have to raise your hand. But have you ever had that feeling on a Sunday afternoon? Maybe a Saturday evening where you're dreading work already on Monday and where you just, you just wish, <laughs> you didn't have to raise your hand, where you, you, just, you just wonder, where is that joy? You know, the joy, it comes on Saturday and it goes on Sunday night. It's not complete. It's not full. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling. Maybe it's not about work. Maybe it's about something else. Where, where you're, you're enjoying the moment, but there's this thing in your heart that goes, it's going to go away. I, it's good right now, but it's going to go away, and you just kind of hold on to it, and it, the older you get, the more you just kind of go, there it goes, and there goes the joy. 2,000 years ago, Jesus knew what you were talking about. He knows that feeling. And he says, I'm going to tell you these things so you don't have to live like that. I'm going to tell you these things so that, that you can enjoy life on a regular basis, that you can experience real joy that lasts, that's complete. Not that you don't have problems, not that you don't have struggles, but at the base of everything there is a complete joy. Can you imagine what that would feel like in your life? Jesus says, here's what it looks like. My command, if you want to live like that, is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Now, you might go, oh... I thought there was going to be this epiphany here. Love each other. As I, okay, well, but here's the thing. When Jesus said this to these people, this was a strange thing to say because of the way Jesus used the word love. And if you think about it for a minute, it's strange for you too. Because when we talk about love, we don't use it as a verb. Jesus uses it as a verb. He says love each other, verb each other. Do this for you. You love each other. You do something for each other. But what we talk about in our culture and what the, the way people talked about love in Jesus' culture was not a verb. It was a noun. It was something you fall into. It was something you find. It was, it, when we talk about love, we talk about it as something that you, you, you fall into as though it's a big hole. And then, oops, I fell into this thing. 
or it's something that you're hunting for. And I picture, you know, these, these girls that I went to college with that got desperate for love, really desperate for love, you know, um, and they were so desperate for love, they'd pretty much marry anybody who gave, showed them a ring. And I, I literally, when I think about hunting for love and, and looking for love, I think about these girls in like Hunter's Orange with a big muzzle loader, looking for love, you know, I'm hunting for love, I'm pursuing love, it's a thing that I have to find, I have to sneak up on it, and when I finally get it, I gotta wrangle it, catch it, and shoot it, and kill it, and field dress it, and take it home, and mount it on my wall, and it's a thing. And I know women like this, I know men like this, but I know women like this, who believe that love is a thing they gotta go get. Or they got to find. And Jesus says, it's not. And if it's a thing to you, if it's something you got to go find, if it's something you're looking for, if it's a thing to you, if it's a noun, you're missing out on the joy of life. You're missing out. And I believe that it's all over the life, even those of us who have chosen Jesus, who have chosen the, to, and they're going to live forever and have been saved by the blood of Jesus, there are people in this room right now who don't understand love and it's causing a black, dark hole in their life because to them, love is a thing instead of something you do. Jesus says, you want love? You want real love? You make love a verb. Now, if you're, if you're a junior high, high school student today, and you're, you're sitting here and you're going, man, one thing I don't talk to my parents about is love. Because they, they don't take me, my love seriously. And, and parents, they're right. But you know what, junior high, high school students, if you're in the room today and you've got a girlfriend, you've got a boyfriend, or, or, or you've got one of those situations where you don't even talk to your mom and dad about it because every time you talk about it, they go, puppy love. You know why they call it that? Because to you, love is a thing. You want your mom and dad to take seriously the way you feel about your boyfriend, about your girlfriend? You start making love a verb. You start changing the way you deal with love. You be grown up about your love for the people around you, and you'll see people take it differently. It'll be more serious. That's why you can meet people in their 40s who are still experiencing puppy love. They still don't get it. To them, they just go from one bar to the next, falling in love with somebody and then falling right back out of love with somebody because it's so much easier to fall out of love than it is to fall in love. The truth is, Jesus says, back one slide there, Tanya. Jesus says, if you want this kind of love, you make it a verb. Now, here's the thing. If you don't have a significant other in your life right now, um, or if it, this, is, this is in some other way, um, not relating to you in terms of husband and wife, you need to know that this is the way Jesus intends for you to, to react to everybody in your life that you're close to. Every person in your life that you're close to, this is what it means to love them. Not that you have to. Not that not it's something that you, you, uh, that you're, you fall into or that you, you find, but something that you do on a regular basis. And so Paul, many, many years later, Paul talks about Jesus. And Jesus says, he says, you, you love one another and you love them the way I have loved you. And so Paul piggybacks off of that. And he's talking to husbands and wives and he's talking about families and he says, listen to this. He says, if you want this kind of love in your life, and so maybe you're sitting here today and you go, all right, I, you're right, John, I've been thinking of love as a thing. Now I want to think about it as a verb, something I do. How do I do this? Paul says, here's how you do it. I love this. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Because if you want to love each other, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Now here's the word. We can stop right there for a minute. The word selfish ambition is a little tiny Greek word that it means competition. 
And you know exactly, if you've been on a date, with, with a double date with your, a couple, you know, you know exactly what I mean by selfish ambition. Paul says if th- that word, that selfish ambition is competition. It's, have you ever seen this in a married couple, especially an older married couple? Here's the way it looks. The man starts to tell a story. Oh man, it was 1984, and she goes, 82. I was wearing a blue sweater. It was red. Oh man, we were, we were in this Mustang. No, it was a Chevy. It's just this competition. Wait a minute, I got to, no, wait a minute. No, I, you tell the story, no, you, and you even hear him say every now and then, or maybe it's her, it goes both ways. Hear him say, do you want to tell the story? And somebody who's a real control freak goes, yes, let me tell it, because if you're going to tell the story, we're going to tell it right, right? You know what that is? Selfish ambition. It's competitive. I went out with a couple one time where the wife, the very first thing she said when we sat down is, I've been trying to get Hank. His name wasn't Hank, but we still hang out with him, so I can't use a real name. I've been, I've been trying to, to get Hank to sit, stand up straighter. He just looks like a big slob, a big hick slob. Everywhere he goes, he just bends over, he slouches all the time, so I've just been hitting him in the back all the time. Sit up, sit up, sit up. And during dinner, he would kind of get into a store and he'd kind of lean over. You know, this is what men do. We lean down, you know, we eat our food as lazy as we can be, you know. Hits him in the back. Sit up, like he's a third grader, you know? Selfish ambition. Now, many of you don't do that, I would say. I would hope. But really, that's kind of the epitome of this. And the thing is, if you start it, if you start with this competition, the people you love, and maybe, maybe it's not just husband and wife, maybe it's with your kids, maybe it's with your brother, it's with your sister. Paul says, if you want real love, if you want that, that complete joy in your life, Start loving people differently. You start thinking of them not in terms of yourself, but in terms of them first, which is a crazy way to do life. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, listen to this, value others above yourself. Now, you've heard this before, so that's going to go in one ear and out the other unless I apply it. So give me a second on this, okay? Have you ever been in a room where you're not the most important person? Some of you go, huh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> let, me, let me give you a couple examples. Have you ever been to a wedding where you're not the bride or the groom? Have you ever noticed how when the bride walks in, everybody stands up, and when you walked in, nobody noticed? <laughs> you're not the most important person in the room. Have you ever been, have you ever been in, a, in, a, in a room with a celebrity? I, I, we became, my family became really good friends with the Zellers, and um, Cody Zeller, when he was playing basketball at IU, they were in our house a lot, and they it was just this kind of a fluke thing. They're a real strong Christian family, and they came to us for some video work, and we became really good friends with them, and it was neat that we got to spend time with them, and they're great people. But I got to see some of my buddies, some of my friend, my guy friends who've been IU basketball fans for so long when Cody was Mr. Basketball. I mean, he was everything, literally. I'm in Indiana, and then he came to IU, and he saved the program, and there was this, all the IU basketball guys in my, in, in my life, they would come to eat dinner with me all of a sudden, they never wanted to come to my house for dinner until they found out I knew Cody Zeller. And then all of a sudden, if Cody's coming, all these guys want to come for dinner. And then they get there, and these big, burly guys who won't say hi to their wives, who won't be nice to their kids, who won't even be nice to their friends, Cody Zeller tells a stupid joke, and they go, <laughs> They laugh when he's not funny. You know why? Because at that moment, he's the most important person in the room to them. Now, is he really more important than me? Intrinsically, no. This is not a statement about human value. This is, you know what I mean. 
when your boss is in the room, at times you, you treat him like he's the most important thing. You defer to them. You don't while they're telling a story. Can you imagine while your boss is telling a story, you go, no, it was 1987. No, the coat was blue. If you're going to tell a story, tell it right. I'll tell the story. You don't do that to somebody who you believe is more important to you in the moment. Now do you see what Paul means? Treat them as though they were more important to you. Treat them as though I got the chance to write this sermon this week and think about my wife and look across the room at the 4th of July party that we were at late last night and at my parents' house on Friday. Look across the room and see her sitting across the room and go, that's the most important thing in this room. She's the most important thing in this room. How is that going to affect? So when she tells a joke, guess who's the loudest laugher in the room? Whether the joke is funny or not. Let me tell you, when she tells a story, if I look at her like she's the most important person in the room, the details don't matter. You understand? This is love. John, but what about the aww? feeling. Isn't that love that, oh, he called, you know that? Oh, did you see her in that dress? Did you, you know what? You, you earn that later. At first, it's instinct. It's the way we fall in love, right? But later, it's intent. It, later, it, it becomes part of our lives and it becomes intentional. It becomes something we do for each other, not something that happens to us. So junior high, high school students who are listening to this, who are watching today, and you're wondering, why don't my mom and dad take my love for my boyfriend seriously? Don't they know that this is the only love that's ever existed in the planet? Let me tell you why. Because we've fallen in and out of love so many times. When we were your age, we believed that love was a thing. That love was something you fell into, and you'll fall right out of it. So if you want us to take it seriously, make love a verb. Do something. Start to show that your love is more than a thing. That it's not about you. You know, here's the thing about all of this. You have valued possessions in your life. I got a buddy I spent some time with this week getting ready for a big 4th of July party. and We, pulled it, we opened up his garage door, and you know, he's got stuff all over, and he's just one of those guys that have all the cool toys, you know. We pull up his garage door, and I, I'm almost sure there were angels when we opened his garage door. <laughs> you know, he's, he's got lights shining down on it, and it's it's a zero-turn radius Dixie Chopper. 2015. Shines beautifully. The most amazing looking thing. And I'm not even a real manly man, and I was slobbering all over this thing. Door flies up on this thing, and he says, my most valued possession. Actually gives time back to me. It used to take me four hours to mow my lawn. Now I can do it in an hour and ten minutes. Actually gives me time back in my life, selling me on how this thing was his most valued possession and the truth is as I was preparing for this sermon I, re- I started thinking what if, what if we guys we treated our wives like they really were our most valued possession you know what he would do if, if, if somebody were to come close to his mower with a say a pickaxe even anywhere near it to scrape the paint he'd be don't you get close to my most valued possession if anybody starts to say, well, you know, the Dixie Chopper's good, but you should try the John Deere. Oh, man, would you get a, a, just an earful from him? Because he's going to defend his most ba- valued possession. Somebody starts talking about the color of it, he's going to defend. The truth is, guys, we don't, 
your most valued possession. Many of us sitting next to you right now. The most valued possession. And let me tell you, very few of us treat it like that. And women, you're in the same position. Would you correct the story that was really your most valued possession? How do you treat your most valued possession in your life? Paul says, you want this kind of love? Next slide there. He continues, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So that whole selfish ambition, don't do anything out of competition. Then secondly, rather in humility, value others above yourself. Make them the most important person in the room. Next, (laughs) this is the hardest one. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other person. This is the hardest one for me because Risha loves British television shows. Oh, what is that? Oh my gosh. You know what? Something happens, the British language pops up and she doesn't care what it's about, she doesn't care who. He is, it automatically takes them, if they're good looking, from a five to a nine if they speak in a British accent. I've been working on mine really hard, but it's got a little hick in it and it just doesn't do the same thing. But you know, when, when the wedding, the wedding, the Kate Middleton wedding a few years ago, oh my goodness, 3.30 in the morning, Risha won't get up for anything, but 3.30 in the morning, she's up watching a wedding of people she doesn't know in a country she doesn't belong to for a, for a, a future queen she, that isn't hers, and she, she had to get up. She wore the hat, she had the tea, it was, it was insane. She really, and bef- that whole week, she's reading the tabloids, and I saw Pam had that same hat Risha was wearing. Um, this was a big deal to her. She wanted to see this. 3.30 in the morning, she got up for this thing, and I, all week, I just couldn't get it. And I remember the night before, she set her alarm for 3.30 in the morning so she could turn on and watch this wedding. And I thought, who is this woman? And then I I remember this piece of scripture. It's not interesting to me. There's nothing about that wedding that's interesting to me. Nothing. But guess who got up at 3.30 in the morning? Chugging coffee. Trying to keep my eyes open. Asking questions, and she's telling me, well, that's the Duchess of Heckingville, and that's the king of whatever. And she knows all the names like I know the baseball players and the basketball players. It's amazing. And I sat, and we watched, and we laughed together. You know why? Because, not because it's interesting to me, but because she's interesting to me. So what that means, you know what? Women are better at this than men. It's why they watch NASCAR. Some of you fall in love with NASCAR then, but it's why you watch NASCAR why you start the NFL football thing? The question is, are you interested in what they're interested in? This includes your kids. I got a friend right now who grew up as an American football player. Hated soccer. Soccer was not an American sport to him. And his kids grew up wanting to play soccer. He did everything he could to push them away from soccer. Oh, it's a girl's sport, he would say, and all these things. And now they're great soccer players, and I love watching him. Because he just squirms. He's getting better and better. And now he's starting to realize, you know what? My kids love this thing. And it doesn't matter what I love. It doesn't matter what interests me. Because when I love somebody, when I choose to love somebody, this is the verb part. I all of a sudden get interested in what they're interested in. I all of a sudden choose to take interest in what they're interested in. And it changes everything. Paul says, you want love like that? It's love that lasts. So you might 
today, you might be sitting, and I know this well, I know our culture well, I know this community well, and I know that there, is, there are, in our marriages, in this place, in our families in this place, there are little issues that have never been resolved. And they've caused this arm-crossed, mean tension. They've caused, truthfully, there are problems in this culture and in, in the families in this place that cannot be solved with a counselor, that won't ever be worked out. But you know how it will change? Like this. Making love a verb. Amen. If you can, no matter how deeply the arms are crossed, no matter how harsh the family members are, no matter how bad things are, if you can stop for just a moment and do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, if you can look not only to your own interests, but first to the interests of others, if you can look at these family members, and even if you don't feel it for the first time, look at them and go, they're the most important thing in the room today, not me. Being right is not the most important thing in the room today. I'm not the most important thing in the room today. What they did to me is not the most important thing in the room today. What they said in July of 2001 is not the most important thing in the world today. In this room, the most important thing is them. If you can do that, even if you have to grit your teeth the first time, even if you have to hold on to something to keep from cussing, if you can start it, let me tell you, it will not only change the room. Eventually, it will change the family. Eventually, it will change you. And eventually, our kids will grow up with a different understanding of love. Our community will feel different when we drive through it. The newspaper will read different 15, 20 years from now. If you right now can put away your own feel-bads, if you can put away the own, the own things in your life that are making you do what you do and say they are the most important thing in my room today, it will change everything around you. It may be the single best way for you to leave an impact on the world around you. It's for you to make love a verb. For you to find things to do. Because love that lasts is a choice. And you may say right now, well, John, you don't understand the situation I am. I'm in. You don't understand how bad it is. You don't understand what they do. John, if I were to go to them and I were to, to make them the most important thing in the room, do you know how they would take advantage of me? Probably. They probably would. It's actually none of your business, according to Jesus. Your business is about loving them. He fills you up when you love them. Then you don't need it from them. But when you get it back, if you do, it's amazing. But when you give it first, it changes you. It makes your joy complete. Whether you get it back or not, that's complete joy. So Paul says, here's how Jesus did it for you. Maybe you've never heard it this way before, but Paul says, this is exactly what Jesus did for you. You know, Jesus, we started this whole thing by Jesus saying, you love each other, you verb each other, you go do things the way I did things for you. And Paul says, this is exactly how Jesus did it for you. He said, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. And here's his mindset. Who being in very nature God did not e consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. You know what being in very nature God means? He was right, always. 
You know what Jesus could have done? He could have came to earth and walked around and go, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, sinner, sinner, you're wrong, you're wrong, going to hell, going to hell, get out of here, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And 100% of the time, he would have been in the right. 100% of the time, Jesus could have pointed things out. He could have said to his disciples, hey, uh, no, that was, that was uh, just, just before the feeding of the 5,000, not just after. He could have corrected stories. He could have every time been about being right. But he wasn't. Paul says he had everything. And he didn't use it to his own advantage. He wasn't the most important person in the room, even though he could have been. He could have gone into any restaurant in Jerusalem and gone, hey, uh, table for 13, please. And I want it right now. By the way, creator of the universe here. (laughs) He could have got any table he wanted. He could have got it. He never used it for his advantage. So you, right now, here, sitting here today, who have your arms crossed and are looking at me going, uh-uh, John, I'm right, they're wrong. So was Jesus. Right. While you were wrong. Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. You know what that, that phrase means? I absolutely love this. Wake up for a minute, because this is just cool. Even if you don't like what I'm saying, this is really cool. The concept that the little Greek word uses there is is taking a pitcher full of something, I picture iced tea because I love iced tea, and pouring it completely out. A full content of something, pouring it completely out. He made himself nothing. He took something that was completely full, he had everything, and poured it out himself. The word literally means he emptied himself. You know what we say about somebody who's really arrogant? We say they're full of themselves, don't we? 2,000 years ago, Paul said, Jesus emptied himself. It's the opposite of somebody who is full of themselves. So here today, if you're sitting with a full of yourself life in your family, in your marriage, yeah, but you don't know what he did 20 years ago. Yeah, but you don't know what he said to me Saturday night. Yeah, but you don't. Yeah, you're right. You're full. You're right. So the question is, what do you do now? Look what Jesus did. He made himself nothing. He poured himself out, took the very nature of the servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. You know what that means? He submitted himself. You know how hard this word is to say if you're a man? Jesus says, you know, if you want a happy marriage, if you want a happy life, it's mutual submission. Men have a terrible problem with submission. This is what you're called to. Submission is, I'm here and I'm going to put myself here. Jesus said, I'm here, I'm right, I'm full, and I'm choosing to submit myself to those who don't even deserve it in the first place. And became obedient to this submission. Did he become obedient to, okay, no more will I correct them while they're telling a story. No more will I make fun of them in public. No more, no, no. He became obedient to death on a cross for you. He submitted himself for you and for me. He emptied himself. Ben, you can come up, or Rick. Come on up. This is the end of my sermon. I'm smooth like that. Today, I, I want to lay on a couple things on your heart that I believe God wants you to hear today. One, I want you to know that love that lasts is available to you. That little feeling that you have inside you, that little thing, 
women have this right at, the, right at the tip of their heart. This is what they love chick flicks. Because chick flicks, they, they expose this part of us where, where that love that's amazing. But you know what? Here's what happens in those movies. They're about an hour and a half, and you never see what happens after the kiss. <laughs> You never see what happens after they finally get back together. You never see it because it's so much easier to fall in love. That part of it is easy. You don't see the staying in love part because it's hard. But it's available. And it's not something you find. Now, obviously, you want to pick the right person. Somebody who you feel like you can do this with your life with. But it's available to you. It's not something you find, it's something that you choose. What would it look like today if, if you opted to treat him? If you opted to treat her? Your son, your daughter, your husband, your wife? That family member who has treated you so poorly for so long? What would it look like today, right now? If you walked out of this building, what would you do differently to make that person the most important person in the room? Just try it. You've tried everything else. You won't believe what it does. Because here's the thing. That's where I'm going to end today. Selfishness. It's the opposite of this, by the way. If you walk out of here and you choose not to do this, it's called selfishness. It means you're full of yourself. It means you care about your own interests. It means that you will take care of your selfish ambitions. And you have some vain conceit. And you can choose that. But here's what it does to you. Selfishness is exhausting. Some of you are just tired. Being right all the time is really exhausting. Being the one who always knows, being the one who always keeps the dates in their head, being the one who always has to tell the story right, being the one who's right, being the selfish person is exhausting. You should try the peace that comes with loving instead of being right. You know, this is exactly what Jesus did for you and for me. He, he had a choice to make. He had kind of two hands, and this is your choice today too. Same choice Jesus had, a little bit different, but same kind of choice. Jesus could have been God when he came to earth. He could have ruled everything. He could have been right every time. He could have pointed at people. It would have felt really good for him, although it been exhausting, for him to be right and to tell everybody once and for all, God is here, you were all wrong. All you atheists, all you people who believed in other gods, you're all wrong. He could have had that. Or he could have relationship with people. He couldn't have both. And neither can you. You can be right all the time. You can be the smartest person in the room. You can be the right person in the room. You can be the most important person in the room, but you can't have loving relationships at the same time. So today, choose to make love a verb. You can do it now. Right now. Don't wait. I'll be standing back in that corner. I'll be glad to pray with you today, but you know what's right. You know what the next thing is. God's already laid it on your heart while I was preaching today. Who the person is that you need to make the most important person in your room today. Would you stand with us? Thank <laughs> you.